Good morning, Joette. Thank you for being on the show with us. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much, Nick and Nick, for having me. It's awesome to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, wonderful to sit down with you. I was reading uh, reading your bio because obviously this is the first time that you and I have had the privilege of interacting. And one of the things that uh, jumped out at me is you were in a real estate investment firm, it sounds like, and pregnant and at the closing table and your water broke, and yet you still close the deal while in labor. And uh, so I don't know, this is not typically where we start an interview, but I'd love to hear that story. That sounded amazing. <laughs> this is true. I was, I am a real estate attorney, and I happened to be uh, at a closing for one of my clients. The closing was happening like 45 minutes away from my office, and I was pregnant. I was not, I was probably a week away from giving birth. I hadn't anticipated that this was my first child, so I didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, I just started leaking. And I was like, what is this? Because I had no idea what it was like to have your water broken. And there it was. I was literally standing in a pool of my own water. And I didn't, I wasn't having any contractions or anything. So I was like, all right, well, I guess we're just going to do this closing and go to the hospital. But apparently my client did not feel the same. It was, it was a couple. And usually in this type of closing, I probably don't need to meet with the client for more than 10 minutes or so. But this client held me there for 45 minutes with full knowledge and seeing that my water was dripping everywhere and she just didn't care. So I stayed for the full 45 minutes, answered all her questions, did the closing, then got in the car and called my husband and said, "Okay, it's time to go. I think he (laughs) about fell over. (laughs) So that's my claim to fame as an attorney. I always tell my clients that your deal will get closed if I'm your attorney. That is is next level dedication. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that brings a whatever it takes mentality to a whole new level. So nobody else has room for argument. Yeah, Yeah. well, it's pretty funny when we go, if I go to like an attorney networking event or something and they say, introduce yourself and tell us something unique about yourself, I'll lead with that story. And then usually nobody can follow that. No, (laughs) no, no, no. You can even, uh, the classic game, two truths and a lie, you can add that one in there. I'm sure people wouldn't believe that one. So That's true. That's a good one. I should think about that. Well, I'm so glad that you're on with us today. And of course, you know, we've had a little bit of time getting to know one another, but the audience doesn't know you. So one of the things about your story is you have continued to be successful in whatever you've done, whether that be law or real estate investing and other types of giving back, philanthropy type of things. And so what I want to do, though, is go back to early in your story, however far back you want to go, simply because it's a pretty cool journey. And that's what we're all about here on the show. So start us kind of early years. What was life like growing up, wherever you want to take it? And then tell us tell us a bit more about your journey. Sure. So early years, I am a first-generation American. My mom is from Vietnam. She came over during the Vietnam War, and she came with $3.50 in her pocket. So she literally built herself up from nothing. Uh, my dad is, an, is Irish-American, but he actually happened to exit stage right when I was five. And so it was just my mom and I for a long time. She worked multiple jobs. We were pretty poor to the point where I tell I tell people about I ask them if they know about um, the 
angel tree kids. You've probably seen it in your neighborhood where local charities will give you like a little Christmas ornament and it will say, girl, age seven, needs jeans, size whatever, shoes, size whatever. That was me. I was an angel tree kid. And there were years where the only time that I received Christmas gifts was from the generosity of strangers. Mm. We didn't have a ton of food. My mom made the choice between living in a safe neighborhood with good schools and not so much food or living in a not so great neighborhood but having food. She chose the former. So I grew up in a really Mm. great school system. My mom went without a lot of nights dinner-wise so that I could Mm. eat. And that's how I grew up. And I knew from a very early age that the only way that I was going to go to college was if I earned it. And so worked super hard, got a scholarship to go to undergrad. And then after undergrad, right before I graduated, my mom, at this time, this was in the early 2000s, and this is before YouTube and whatnot. So my mom took me to one of those one day free real estate seminars where you go and they try to rope you in and sell you the upscale package. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I went with her and I fell in love with real estate and that was like, that's it. This is what I want to do. Screw mm. the four year degree that I just worked so hard for. I was a double major, but real estate is where it's at. So I ended up working for that guru that gave the presentation that day, he was charging anywhere between ten dollars to $40,000 to learn how to invest in real estate. And I didn't have that money. Like I said, I grew up poor. I earned my way through college. I didn't have ten to forty grand to step into the room. So I basically pestered him. I got his phone number and I called him every month for six months and offered to work for free. And I just said, I'll get your coffee, I'll get your dry cleaning, I'll do your laundry, just let me in the room so that I could learn this material. And after about six months, I think he finally got the clue that I wasn't gonna go away. And he finally gave me a shot. He let me be on his sales team. And so I got to travel the country with him for four years and I was now the salesperson selling his real estate courses. But in exchange, I got to sit in the back of the room and learn the material. And that's what really led to my real estate investing career and ultimately to law school to be a real estate attorney. I love that. Uh, Again, that (laughs) persistence, there's going to be a theme here, I'm (laughs) I'm sure, but the the persistence of of latching on to a dream of I want to get into real estate and continuing to get a, find a way to reach the sky until you got your shot. Um, on the real estate piece, as you went to that course, you said you fell in love with real estate. I'm curious what it was about it. Was it the opportunity that you saw or how did it compare to other opportunities that you were thinking about at that point in your life? Well, at that point in my life, I had just graduated was just about to graduate undergrad and at that time I was thinking you know go get a job work your nine to five save your money and not a whole lot about investing I hadn't really grown up like that as I had said you know Mm -hmm. grew up pretty poor and when I went to that seminar and heard the types of returns that you can have in real estate you can really change your life you can really change your legacy and that's Mm -hmm. what made it so attractive for me And through that seminar and through that guru, my mom 
she kind of started there are there are ways to invest in real estate without using you know bank money the way that the traditional way that people think about investing so she started doing real estate and it changed our it changed our entire mm-hmm. lives and oh. so that's something that for me was just a huge it meant everything that you could change your destiny you could change your life and you could change the legacy for those that you leave behind yeah what for her and you you mentioned that she started getting into real estate and brought you to the seminar did somebody introduce it to her was it a, a colleague a coworker i mean what what made her realize this was the path i think it was a friend but at that time you know there's mailers that go out and big billboards come to my free seminar so i think my mom has always been an entrepreneur i mean ever since she came to this country always trying to find ways to make ends meet other than working three jobs as she had and how can how can we make ends meet faster quicker to have better opportunities so i think that that is what attracted her to it hmm. And once you got on and started working for this uh, real estate guru, as you were learning, how long did it take from like when you first started working for him to when you actually were part of your first deal? It took, so I worked for him for four years. And during that time, the 2008 financial crisis happened. So that wasn't the ideal time to get into things. Yeah. And what really came about when I really put into practice was my first year of law school. So Mm. to backtrack for a second, the 2008 financial crisis happened while I was working for this guru. And I saw so many investors lose their shirts. They Mm. weren't leveraged correctly or they didn't have the correct asset protection strategies in place. And that for me was a real eye opener. And it was like, all right, well, if I'm going to spend my life in real estate, which is what I want to do, I better go to law school and learn how to protect it. Mm. So that's what I did. What happened when I got to law school was at the particular law school that I went to, you weren't allowed to work your first year, you're supposed to concentrate on your studies. Mm. But I needed money. And so what I did was I implemented what I learned with the guru. And This part wasn't, the part I'm about to say next is not part of what I learned from the guru. But what I did was I needed money. I couldn't have a job. And student interest rates were pretty cheap while you're in school. So I maxed out my student loans and I took that money and I went and I bought individual mobile homes, not mobile home parks, but the individual mobile homes that sit in the park. And my boyfriend, who's now my husband, we started fixing and flipping them. So I'd scrub the mold and scrub all the feces in the toilet and he'd do the demo and he'd roll out the tar on the roof. And then we would rehab them, paint them, put new carpet in, and then we'd sell them and hold the note, meaning that I financed it. So people were making me monthly payments and slowly paying the mobile homes off. And I used that money to pay for law school. And then from there, we started upgrading into bigger and better properties, single families, duplexes, all the way up to apartment buildings that we have now. Ah. And, it's been a journey. So it's, oh, no, I mean, now. I'm condensing, you know, 20 years worth of hard work into <laughs> yeah. just a couple minutes. <laughs> well, oh, no and, doubt. And who, in terms of the ideas of the mobile homes, who... Who came up with the idea? Where did it come from? And, and maybe did you, did you self-teach yourself 
to demo and clean and remodel or was that in your background or wheelhouse or just creative with doing stuff like that? That was one of the strategies I learned working for the guru. One of the aspects of real estate that they taught in their courses was mobile home park, uh, mobile home park investing and financing. But like I said, I didn't have money for a whole park. So I just broke it down and said, all right, what can I afford? And it was just an individual mobile home. And Mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough that working for so many years for that guru, I had the relationships with the coaches and the program. And I had a coach who coached me on how to do an investment like that. He came out and spent a couple days with me and taught me how to do it A to Z. And then from there, we ran with it. Mm. So I was pretty fortunate in the relationships that I was able to to build while I worked for that company. Yeah. And uh, with law school, I mean, that's, I would love to hear more just about so you're you're there working with a real estate investment group in 08. You're seeing people, as you said, losing their shirts. Um, I mean, had law school prior to that been something that was on the horizon for you? Or did you see an opportunity and just jump at it? And then what was that experience like? I mean, law school is no joke. <laughs> you know, law school is no joke till you have kids. If you have kids, you can do law school. <laughs> <laughs> kids are by far way harder than law school. <laughs> so uh, to go back to your question, go ahead. I was going to say, I'll take your word for it. I uh, <laughs> I mean, I've got three kids and, and they can certainly be difficult, but I, uh, I've got mad respect for friends and, and folks that have gone through law school because I... Uh, Maybe it's just that I don't test well, but I think about passing the bar and all the responsibilities that you have as a, a lawyer. And that's a, it's, it's a weighty profession. It is a weighty pre- profession, and there's certainly a lot of liability and responsibility in it. I also have three kids, and it's the two together. It's a lot. So, yeah. But if you, can, if you can have kids, you can go to law school. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So what was law school like? No, law school had never been in the cards. Like I said, I had always in, in my mind said, I got to, if I'm going to go to school, I got to earn my way. And so once I started working for this guru, I just thought that I was going to invest forever. Mm. But like I said, 08 happened and it was just an eye opener. And I knew that I needed to learn how to best protect what I wanted to build for my future and for future clients that I wanted to work with. So most lawyers go to law school to be a lawyer, and then they just get a job in whatever area of law they find. And then they concentrate in that area of law based upon the job that they get. I was the complete opposite. I knew I loved real estate, and I only wanted to be a real estate lawyer. So I looked for law schools that I could afford that also allowed me to concentrate my degree. And so there is a small regional school in Massachusetts that I went to. I was able to earn a scholarship based upon how I performed in undergrad. And they allowed me, that program allowed me to concentrate my law degree in real estate, small business, and estate planning. So that's the three areas of law that I offer through my current law firm. Most of my business is in real estate, but then when my investors come to me and they need a will done for their to protect their children or they want an LLC set up to do asset protection, I can do all of that for them. 
And we're, we're going to dive a little bit more into some of the practical for our listeners and for our guests, I think, as we go. But jumping back a little bit more into your story, you went through the mobile home parks or the mobile homes and then the parks and you kind of scaled up. What, what other asset classes have you hit in real estate investing? And, and maybe maybe what's one of your favorite that uh, currently as you've looked back on the different ones you've invested in? So from mobile homes, after that, we started investing in REOs, so foreclosures, and we moved up to single families and duplexes, a fourplex, six, seven, eight, all the way up to 12. And so with that asset mix, it's small commercial, small apartment buildings. Those are all the asset classes that my husband and I personally have through my clients. I've done everything all the way, again, up to small commercial 20, 25 units. The most, for me, rewarding part is being able to help my clients learn how to creatively finance their deals, meaning if they don't have the 20% down, how do we get them the deal even though they don't have the money, which was my number one problem when I first joined real estate was how am I going to do all this when I don't have the money? How do I make my dreams come through? How do I change my life through real estate if I don't have the money? And there's lots of creative ways to do that. And so as an attorney, I've really been able to help my clients navigate their way through that and help them execute. And I think I don't know that I have any favorite asset class. I like anything that makes money, right? That yeah. helps my my family move forward. For me, it's not about necessarily the asset class, but how to structure the deal creatively and then how to protect it what it is that you're purchasing. I'd love to camp out on that for a little bit because that's one of the biggest questions that we get from our listeners. And I'm sure that you get it all the time too, but um, where people that want to invest in real estate or they want to start a business, but the biggest roadblock for them is that I don't have the money or they have an assumption about what kind of money they need to have in the bank or for down payments. And because of those assumptions, they never step out or explore the opportunities any further. And so, you know, I'm curious both from your own story as well as perhaps some stories of clients that you've worked with of um, how, what do some of those creative structures look like when it comes to financing or, or where do you start with somebody who comes to you that says, I want to invest in real estate, but I have no money. So there's a few different ways. And obviously, as an attorney, I just have to say none of this is legal advice. You're your own attorney, right? Huge disclaimer when you talk to attorneys. But I would say, talking generally, most people who when they come to me and they say, I want to do real estate, but I don't have a ton of money, I or they start with wholesaling. Mm. Wholesaling is when you take a contract, you go under contract with a seller of a property, and then you assign that contract, the rights to that contract, to another person for a fee. And I've seen anywhere in the Northeast, anywhere between $1,000 to $100,000 assignment fees, depending upon the property and its value and the location. So wholesaling is one way to accumulate some lump sum money. I've had clients who will do other creative financing strategies. One is what I call a novation, 
where they are getting the property under contract just the way that they would in a wholesale deal. But instead of assigning the contract, what they do is they essentially flip the property without ever actually buying it. So the investor would do the renovations. And then once the renovations are done, the house is put on the market. But the contract, the the foundation of the deal is where the contracts allow the investor to be entitled to all of the equity that the renovation produced. So for example, I have a client, just to give you numbers, he found a property that needed some renovation, but the seller was not in a position to do that renovation. So he got the contract uh, for the property at $200,000. The property needed about $50,000 worth of work. Client didn't have the money for the renovation, so he went and he borrowed $50,000 from friends or family. I'm not sure who he borrowed it from, but he borrowed it. And he used that that $50,000 to renovate. So now he hasn't purchased the property. He has not given the seller $200,000. All he has is a contract that says that he will give them $200,000, but he hasn't done it yet. He does that contract, gave him the rights to renovate the property. So he renovated the property with the $50,000 that he borrowed. And then once it was renovated, he put that property back on the market and it sold for $320,000. That investor, my client, was entitled to the difference between the base contract price of $200,000 with the seller and the, the $320,000 that he sold. So that $120,000 worth of equity was his. When it closed, he received $120,000. He paid the private investor that he borrowed the fifty dollars from, and he netted $70,000 minus legal fees and whatnot, minus those minimal costs. But essentially, $70,000, he never had to buy the property. He never had to put down a down payment. He never had to pay holding costs. He didn't have a mortgage to pay while he's doing the renovation. The seller paid all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's so important that if you're going to do a technique like this, that you have an attorney who understands the provisions that need to be in the contract. Because one misstep in the contract and you all that profit goes away. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you speak to that because I'm a real estate agent, um, (laughs) which uh, they make it so clear in real estate school of that. Yeah, you perform legal duties as an agent, but you are not a lawyer. (laughs) And um, there's nothing more scary to me than uh, what we have out here in Washington, Form 34, the blank addendum. You know, where I have to like write something in um, because I, I feel the liability that I have if I uh, don't write it correctly. And so when we start talking about creative deals and creative structures, um, the value of having someone like yourself becomes so apparent to me because, like you said, this is an amazing structure where somebody's able to get a property under contract without having to put down anything up front. Um, but yeah, one misstep, right? And uh, they could be out that whole $50,000 that they'd spent in renovations and uh, what a nightmare. And be in breach on a $200,000 contract, which is not, you know, not chump change. No, no. So that's why I said that it's very important that you have an attorney who understands the creative techniques. And there's other ones you could rent to own, you could do a contract for deed, 
all of these phrases that I'm spitting out, someone can Google and there's tons of YouTube videos yeah. on how to do this type of stuff. But before anybody executes it, obviously have an attorney in your corner who understands and, and can help you with the contracts. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen that too, interestingly enough, as a banker, where I went from small business banking, folks needed a credit card, they needed a couple work vans. Now, as I've stepped into commercial banking, we're talking multi-million dollar properties, multi-million dollar lines of credit. You know, it just reminds me, you're only as good as the people around you. And you want those, you want the team in your corner. And so it's easy to watch the videos on YouTube, to listen to the gurus and think you can go take on these complex things. They're incredible opportunities, like you said, and they're worth studying and worth educating yourself on, but you have to have the team around you. Otherwise, you can you can really hurt yourself fast. I would totally agree with that. And I think that that was what I saw during the 2008 financial crisis was that so many investors were leveraging, like you say, home equity lines of credit pulling off their home to go buy over properties that weren't worth what they paid for, or they were using credit cards to finance a down payment on a no-doc loan. You know, really creative strategies, but also dangerous when not executed correctly. And I would totally agree with that. Even with the creative financing strategies that I help my clients structure now, these are things that take me a lot of time to structure. These are contracts, custom contracts. These are not something that you go on the internet and pull off and try to try to do, which I've seen a lot of investors try to do. They will decide they want to get into wholesaling and they'll go on Google and pull some contract off Google and think that that works in all 50 states. And it just doesn't. And this is real money. These are This is real lives that we're talking about. So the investment in an attorney is worth it. I know it's not cheap. I know that not everyone has the most positive view of attorneys, but if you find the right one and they understand what you're doing and they have your best interest at heart, they're worth it. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. I, uh, I've spent some time with syndicating attorneys here just as, as a banker. And it's funny because she has oftentimes categorized two groups of attorneys. And she says, I'm one of the good ones, which is I help people protect their money. And <laughs> right. so I, I love that. I love that focus there. Um, let, let me shift the conversation just a little. I'm curious as I'm trying to put myself in the listener's shoes and say, hey, as I'm listening through you know, your story, inspiration, work really hard, but then the seriousness and the weightiness of money and real estate investing, something that kind of creeps up into my mind is just that fear that prevents people from moving forward. And, you know, through your life, I'm sure there's been moments of fear that have made you pause or stop, but you've, you've seemingly in the story continued to just push through the fear, push through like, how do I do this? And you're just were like, hey, I'm going to find a way and I'm going to make it happen. So maybe speak to fear you felt or whatever you feel comfortable with, but fear that maybe prevents people. And, and how do you move past some of that? I think there's always fear in whatever area of your life you're in, right? Whether you're just beginning and you haven't done your first deal or you're on your hundredth deal, but now you're maybe moving into a bigger asset class that you haven't done before. So there's always that 
that moment of fear or that that level of fear. So how do I push through it? For me, I draw on my faith. It's a belief that there's something greater for me, that God wants me to have something greater. God wants to bless me. And, and as a Christian and someone that draws on that, it's the belief that I am able to have that through a God that loves me. But also, it's not just about me. It's about what I want to leave for my three children and for my legacy. And so my desire to provide for them is bigger than the fear that I have to move forward. And I think that that's really key is that you're not going to move forward and you're not going to move past your fear till you have a goal that's bigger than your fear. And the other thing I would say is I try to surround myself with people who are further along than me in their journey. And I'm able to look ahead and say, hey, look at what they've accomplished. If they can have it, why can't I have it? Mm -hmm. And how did they do it? And what were the obstacles that they overcame? Or what are the things that they encountered that maybe I could avoid in my journey? So I really try to draw on the wisdom of people who are further along than I am. Yeah, and that's both of those pieces are are beautiful. Um, the uh, the faith piece, the desire to provide for your children, being you know bigger than the that desire uh, being a bigger driving force than the fear that would hold you back. And then we hear it time and time again, just the value of surrounding yourself with people who are further along. I think that that can be unfortunately difficult for a lot of investors and entrepreneurially minded um, people. Certainly, I can imagine through the real estate investment group that you are part of and now in your profession as a, an attorney, um, you're probably around a lot of really experienced and kind of high power, high profile folks. But I'm curious what advice you'd have from your own experience of just how do you get around mentors, coaches, how do you create that community around you of people who are, are further ahead, um, but also have some sort of shared values that, you know, keep you moving in the right direction? So in Connecticut, where I'm based, there's a very active um, real estate investors association and a ton of free meetups or maybe like 20 bucks to go or something like that. And these are resources that I didn't have when I was first starting on my journey. And depending upon your area, I think that those are great resources to tap into. Your local RIA is great. They're usually bringing in some type of guest speaker who is speaking on these types of topics. And you're surrounding yourself with other real estate investors in the room of varying degrees of experience. So I think that that's a great resource. And the meetups are also great. Sometimes other locals and your local investors in your area, excuse me, are um, hosting their own meetups. And so that's a great place to be as well. And especially where I am, it's a very, like I said, active community. And when you go there and you just network and you meet with people, you can identify or meet with someone who perhaps is on your same level or further along and who maybe has some, you know, mutual characteristics as you, if faith is one of them or a certain type of investment class is one of them, and then just ask them to coffee. You know, and obviously everything that you do has to provide value. So if you're going to go to coffee with someone, you're not just asking them questions and trying to get as much information, but what value can you bring to that conversation? What value can you provide to them? Mm -hmm. 
That's good. And and looking to give rather than receive, and it's it's that mutual benefit. I I think that's not stated enough. You know, we're always trying to learn from people who have done it really well, but is there a way to like you even said, get in the room with some of those people, you know, how can I help? I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And that's been a mark of your story early on. Thank you. I think in today's society, people talk a lot about self-care and what can what what serves me and how, mm. and putting myself first. And I think that in in business and in life, you get further when you help others. Mm. And so it shouldn't just be a self-centered focus, but that's how I got to work for the guru. It wasn't, hey, give me all this information for free because I don't have 40 grand. It was like, what value can I provide to you? How do I get in that room? Can I get you coffee? Can I set up your PowerPoint? What can I do so that I can earn my way into that room and earn the right to learn that information? That's a really good uh piece of advice for our listeners, um, that idea of, of earning your, your way into the room and having that mindset and approach uh, versus the entitled kind of perspective of that it's like, hey, I showed up to this thing and I have a desire and you owe me the opportunity, um, which is unfortunately characteristic of our age. Speaking of generosity and adding value. Um, I uh, hopped onto your Instagram page and um, it looks like there's quite a bit that you've found uh, ways to engage in the community and provide value. One of the things that really stood out to me was the the bike building event um, that you had highlighted. And I'm curious, a big part of abundant journey is the spirit of radical generosity. And that's one of the things that we see as a benefit for people getting into uh, real estate investing and entrepreneurship is the opportunities that it does open up to bless a community and to be generous. I'm curious what that's looked like for you, whether you want to talk about um, the bike building uh, drive that I've now teased um, and <laughs> other ways too that you found uh, that your position as an attorney uh, and a business owner has allowed you to bless the community in ways that you might not be able to if you were just a, a W-2 employee at a, a bigger corporation. So the bike build is a great event. We are going into our third year and actually just a little under a month from now, December 5th is when our next bike build is. And funny enough, that came about from a client of mine. I was doing a closing for a client and I was just making small talk and I asked her, hey, what do you do? And she happens to be um, a fundraiser for a national charity called Canned Aid, C-A-N-D apostrophe aid. And their main thing was that they are they're from a brewery in Colorado and they I believe it was during Katrina I could be having this wrong but they shut down the brewery and they started canning water mm. and now they bring canned water into um, emergency situations where usually where FEMA goes but in addition to that service that they provide to the nation they also travel the country and do bike builds, skateboard builds, art murals for kids. And for me, as I've told you, I grew up pretty poor. I remember when I got my first bike and it wasn't until 
I was a preteen and it was a huge deal to have a bike because it was super expensive and the freedom that a bike allows when you're a kid. So the bike build, we, we started partnering with Candade. So now it's an annual event where we hold a community night. It's free for volunteers in the community to come out. The bikes are provided uh, by my law firm, my husband's real estate company, and then local sponsors in the area that I know through our business networking. The goal is to get as many bikes as possible. And so the volunteers come at a brewery. This is where we have it, yeah. kind of a, a nudge to their origins. Yeah, yeah. And you drink a beer and build a bike, like I said, free to build the bike. And then the next morning, the school that's picked by the organization is always a Title I school. So I believe it's 85 or 90% of the kids in that school are on free or reduced lunch, which by the way, that was me when I was a kid. And so the an assembly is done. They fly in like a pro athlete, pro BMX and rider, and he does all types of tricks and he teaches them about bike safety. And at the end of the assembly, it's like an Oprah moment. Like it's like, you know, curtains drawn back and these kids get these bikes and they're not expecting it. They just think it's a boring school assembly. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. I have... If you've been on my Instagram, I'm not sure if the video is posted there, but there are videos posted of our first and second year, and now we're going into our third year. And that feeling, that ability to give back to kids that remind me so much of myself is the most rewarding work I do all year. I you know, I, I work with a lot of investors. I help them do their deals. I help them change their lives. That's amazing. But seeing the looks on these kids' faces, is it's priceless. Mm. Ah, I love that. Yeah, the videos are there. And I do encourage uh, all of our listeners, I'll include uh, include links to your social media profiles in the show notes. Um, that video is well worth people going and checking out because you can see the, the joy. Well, one, uh, building a bike and drinking a beer sounds just like an amazing, you know, <laughs> of all of the different uh, kind of ways to serve a community. That's one that I could definitely get down with. Um, but then, yeah, seeing the, the reactions of those kids in the video. It, it does. It feels like watching like a extreme home makeover kind of reveal. It's very cool. It's, so it's cool. amazing. And then just to go back to your question in 2024, my firm is going to be launching another way to give back, which is I, as you know, a daughter of a single mom growing up, that's definitely a area or a I guess you would say ideal client, ideal person that I'd like to give back to because it's just weighed on my heart so much growing up that way. And now that I am at the point in my career where I've had the good fortune to assemble all this legal knowledge plus experience in real estate investing in my local area, I'll be launching some local meetups where women only, sorry guys, <laughs> <laughs> only women yeah. can come and learn about some of the strategies I've told you here so that they can change the lives for their children. And I plan on charging a nominal fee and then that nominal fee goes to the bike build at the end of next year. Cool. No, I think that that's good. I mean, you're, you're continuing to live out the abundant journey, which is you realized you had a lot to learn. You were humble. You were willing to work. Then from there, there was this desire now and it's shifted for you. It, you know, 
it's shifted from me and learn and get what I can, but then recognizing that we're here to give and we're here to invest and to help others. And I, you know, that just, that story needs to continue to get out as people who have been on that journey. But, you know, it's not about accumulating as much money as you can. It's not about building your big kingdom or building your coffers, but at the end having, so you can turn around and give. And so I I love that you live that as we kind of head towards wrapping up the show, I'm, I got just a couple more questions and I think this speaks directly to the folks starting out. And so maybe one of those ones are, you know, what are some of the mistakes people make early on? You're working with all different kinds of investors, I'm sure from the experienced ones to people just getting into the game. What are some of the common mistakes you see early on that people make and and some, some lessons or wisdom or caution you would give? Well, obviously, everything that I would say comes from a legal standpoint, right? So the number one thing that I see that mistakes that investors make is not understanding the documents, the contracts that go into a deal. Obviously, every real estate deal that you do has to have a contract and not understanding A, the language in the contract and B, the implications of what it is that they're signing on is huge. There's a lot of there's a lot that goes into a contract, even a standard real estate contract in your area. I mean, I'm sure Nick is working off your Washington area realtors contracts. Those are drafted with implications. And so don't go into a transaction um, uneducated about it. Seek a realtor, seek an attorney, seek someone who's more experienced than you that can help you because I've seen it really turn ugly when you're putting real money down and it's your deposit and you're not able to get it back because you didn't understand what the contract said. Mm. Same thing with running your numbers, understanding what a house is worth before renovation, after renovation Mm. in a certain market, understanding how that's gonna impact your financial budget, right? Can you afford the monthly payment you know, are those numbers going to work for you? So all of that kind of falls under the underwriting umbrella, but learning how to run numbers, learning what a property is worth in your market, what it'll rent for, what it'll sell for, super important because real estate can really change your life, but it's not without its risks. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's super wise. I think that's super good. In that, what would you say to folks who want to get started? Where would you say is a good starting point, knowing that the market's tough, there are less deals out there seemingly, rates are higher. I know that as a banker. But you know, what, what would you say for somebody wanting to get started on their journey just like you did? I would say... Start with what you can afford. And what do I mean by that? So for me, when I was doing mobile homes, that's what I could afford. We're talking $5,000 is what I could afford. And for me, that my local market at that time, that didn't work. I had to drive 100 miles north to get to a price range that I could afford. So start with what you can afford what you're comfortable with 
risking? Is it a $100 deposit? Is it a $1,000 deposit? I've seen investors come through my office who get who are wholesaling and they get $100,000 properties under deposit with $100 and that's their total risk. Now, obviously that's not you know, across the board, and it depends upon what you agree upon with the, with the seller and what the property is worth in the market. But start with where you're at. There's so many free resources online now that I didn't have access to. There's tons of YouTube videos and tons of people putting, you know, material out there. But with the word of caution, which is don't take that person at their word, don't execute exactly the way that they're telling you that they did it in their market. Take the information for what it is, which is general, and then tailor it to your market. Like I said earlier, find a realtor, find an attorney, find an expert at a local CT RIA meeting or a local meetup that can tell you how it works in your market. So just like Google is not a doctor, Google is not a real estate investor. So make sure you're verifying that information. Right. And I could certainly speak to like how people should interview a real estate agent or decide on one of them. And I can tell everybody who's in Connecticut or Massachusetts that they should certainly work with you for uh, as a real estate <laughs> attorney. But for anybody who's outside of the areas that you serve, um, having a conversation with an attorney is a lot less common than having a conversation with a real estate agent. And so I'm curious what you would say to listeners as far as where they should start with that conversation and what should they expect and how should they find a good real estate attorney? So most of the country, there's only about a dozen states in the U.S. that require an attorney to do a real estate closing. Connecticut and Massachusetts are two of them. The rest of the country, mainly out west and where you guys are, you don't really use attorneys. You use title companies. And I would say that in that area, perhaps you use your title, you ask your title company for a referral as to who's a good real estate attorney in your area. Who do they use? Who do they, you know, seek advice from? That's a good place to start. And then I would ask for referrals, maybe some other investors that you meet in your local RIA, who it is that they're using as their attorneys, and then vet them out. And what do I mean by that? I have had plenty of investors call me and say, hey, what's your experience with this? How many deals have you done with this? And funny enough, most of my referrals come from Facebook. Mm -hmm. So a lot of investors in Connecticut, at least, they they join their local real estate investors Facebook page in their area, and then they just comb through the posts in that group as to who's a good attorney. Hmm. And I would say that that's a really good way. If you're not able to attend a local RIA meeting or a local meetup, go to your local Facebook investor page and read the thread and see who is the most recommended because that's who's being used. That's awesome. That's super helpful. Well, Joe, you know I got one more question for you before we jump into our, our gold nugget round. And it seems like it might be coming out of the left, left field here, but it's been on my mind for a little bit as you engage with a lot of clients who have been successful and you're working with these folks. One of the things Nick and I consistently have the conversation is, is as entrepreneurs, shiny object syndrome, chasing different things 
going after different asset classes, going after different types of investment. And there seems to be this two camp kind of a thing. One camp is like, hey, find one thing you're really good at, put your nose down, get really good at it, stick with it. And then there's this other camp of, hey, be really good at finding deals. And I'm curious where you land on that. And the reason I ask you is because your journey has seemingly been through various things. You've just found success. It's It's been more to me as your habits and your personhood than it is the actual thing you're pursuing. It's more about you. But of course, you're also working with a lot of successful people. So curious where you land on that scale in terms of, hey, I'm going to focus on one thing or you know, be good at finding deals. What, what would you speak to that? Well, I would say that I probably didn't present myself well if I if I seemed like I skipped around because I started with what I could afford in the in the area that I knew, which was mobile homes. And I did mobile homes for a couple years until I was able to afford the next asset class. And I've kind of worked my way up through the asset classes as my finances and legal acumen have allowed me. I am in the camp of learn one thing, get really good at it, and then move on to the next thing. And the reason why I think that is because, you know the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. And so I think that when you are working with, in real estate, working with different asset classes, it demands a different set of knowledge. Residential is completely different than commercial, which is completely different than industrial. And I think that before you get too far down the road, you should start with the basics, which for most people is residential, and do that, right? But if you're not able to afford a house right now, then maybe you start with where I started, individual mobile homes. And also see, like I said, where the creative financing strategies take you. Like if you're not able to afford a mobile home right now, so maybe you do wholesaling, build up the capital, and then you go to mobile homes or whatever asset class interests you and also whatever asset class that you like working in because not everybody wants to be a landlord. Not everybody wants to work with tenants. So maybe they work with office space or just vacant land because that is less people involved. So I think it's more of a... Pick one niche that fits your personality, your financial situation at that time, and the knowledge that you have, and then work up from there. And as your knowledge increases, then maybe you move to the next asset class. Good. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I like that as far as just picking a niche that um, suits who you are, how you're wired, but also fits with, I imagine to some extent, like the, the need of the area that you're in too. Um, and, uh, but that linear progression of, of starting small and working your way up, I really respect that. And, uh, I think that that's a good word for our listeners too, because in the social media age, it's so easy to, you know, see a, a 30 second clip of some 25 year old guy pulling up in a Ferrari and is like, yeah, I just bought 700 units. And it's like, how? <laughs> um, so much of that stuff is so fake. And so to hear the real story of that, like, this is not a get rich quick asset. Um, this is something that you slowly and steadily build. And, 
And this wasn't done without hard work either. Yeah. So Ooh. many people see, you know, these TikTok influencers, like you said, pulling up in a Ferrari. And it was like, I bought 700 units in my first year. And while that's totally possible for some people, that is not the norm. And for me, like I said, if you heard, I was scrubbing feces. Yeah. I was scrubbing mold. I was, you know, spreading grout. Like this is not something that I just woke up with and all okay. of a sudden I had a multi-million dollar portfolio. <laughs> this was hard work. Yeah. And this was egg sandwiches because we didn't have money to go to Starbucks. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. yep. It's grit. Yeah. Yeah. No, and we we uh we we spent some time recording an episode a few weeks back with a guy and he's in his eighties and he bought and sold 35 businesses over his 50 year time. But to your point, you know, I, as a banker, I've, I've seen where he's ended financially, but it's, it's absolutely aligned with what you are talking about is showing up every day, working hard, be willing to give instead of what can I get, 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 and those principles just ring true and the faithfulness. And like you said, I mean, we've condensed your story into an hour, but we're talking decades worth of hard work and diligence and humility. And so, yeah, no, I, I think that's a great word to, to end on here before we jump into the gold nugget round, if you're cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> all right. Well, same questions we ask all of our guests. I know we've covered a few of these here uh, today already, but let's dive into them. So we talk a lot about the five F's at Abundant Journey, family, faith, fitness, finance, and future. And we just want you to pick one of those. Of course, we're nearing here the end of 2023. So looking into 24, what's one of the F's there that you're focused on and, and how are you going to work on growing this, year, this upcoming year in that? The F that stands out to me is family. So as I stated earlier, I've got three kids and my oldest is a fourth grader now. But when she was in second grade, her teacher did something called Places of the Week, where every week they would pick a different place in the world that they would learn about. So my daughter came home with a list of places that she wanted to go. Hmm. And so now in 2024 and for the next nine years until she turns 18, and leaves our nest, the goal is to go on at least one international trip per year that ticks off her list of places of the week. That's and cool. so the first trip is next month, we go to Hawaii. That's, that's a good starting awesome. point. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the goal. That's what all of this is for, all of the real estate and the passive income it's for my family it's to have more time with my family because at the end of the day that's what's most important to me so good yep yeah absolutely no and 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 at the end of the day that's what matters most i remember just having a conversation with a with a business owner who said you know so many people work really hard to make a lot of money and then they try to get their time back and then their health deteriorates but he said you're supposed to flip it you know focus on the things that matter the most and money is further down the road. It's a tool. It's an, it's a way to get you there, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's a means to get you uh, the family time and the investment. So I love that. Absolutely. It's not the goal. Yeah, totally. Next one here. What's a quote from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey? 
Mine is from the Bible because of my faith. And I believe it's Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know um, the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, that's not the exact Bible verse, but that's the gist of it. And that's what really what I draw on when you asked me, how do I move past my fear? I think back to this Bible verse where I where it clearly says that God has a plan and a hope and a future for me, and I lean in on that. Love that. It reminds me, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's, Absolutely. That's good. Love that. Uh, next one, we've talked about some traveling here, so you can't use that, but what's a dream or goal that you have that you've not been able to make happen yet? Probably in my fitness journey. I haven't been able to hit that weight post three babies that I wanted to. So that's just, you know, I I have like a nutritionist that I work with, but you guys know it's, you're not always eating a prepped meal. You're most of the time eating whatever leftovers your kid left on their plate. (laughs) So that's not ideal. (laughs) For us, that's often nuggets and mac and cheese. Exactly. Nuggets and uh, cheese pizza in our house. That does not coincide with my fitness journey. (laughs) No, that's good. Well, last one here before we wrap up. At the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? You know, I pray that I'll be remembered for helping others change their legacy. So I pray that my kids remember me as a loving mother who would do anything for them. But in the community as well, I pray that I'm remembered as a person in the community who helped change lives. And for me, that's through real estate. That's through giving back through philanthropy. That's just my path. That doesn't necessarily mean that that's everybody's path. But for me, I hope that I was able to change someone's life for the better. And it absolutely, absolutely sounds like you're, you're doing that. I mean, I know we didn't spend a a ton of time on it, but just thinking about, um, your mom coming over with $3 and 50 cents and thinking about where, uh, where you and your family are at, um, the opportunities that you've created for yourself. And now, as you shared with us, the vision that you have to create more and more opportunities, not just for the investors that you're already working with and that are coming to you, but like the, um, the opportunity for other women in your community to help them get into real estate. Uh, it just sounds like you're doing amazing things and amazing story. I'm so grateful for you coming on and sharing for our listeners that do want to connect with you, want to follow along. I'm going to post the social media profiles, but is there anywhere else that you'd send them to follow along your journey or see more about what it is that you're doing professionally? Sure. So my law firm's webpage is www.trin.law. So trin is my last name and then .law, not .com. That's my main webpage. There's a landing page. They can enter in their information, their phone number, and we can set up a call. And then social media, really, like as you've said, that's the main way to get a hold Cool. Well, I will include links below and hopefully our folks can get in touch with you that way. At the very least, uh, follow along and check out that uh, that bike video. That was so cool. Um, thank you. Yes, of course. And listeners, as always, thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. Thanks for engaging in uh, the story. I trust that you're inspired. And um, so if you benefited, 
Please share the episode with a friend or somebody else that you think would be interested and be sure to leave us a, a review. And if you throw in your comments, that's an extra bonus. We appreciate that. But we will be back again very soon. Thanks so much, everybody. Joette, thank you again. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next time.